Luke chapter 12, and we will be reading from verse 22 to verse 34. And the theme for this morning's message is Christians, COVID-19 and the economy. And then I have a subtitle, Six Reasons Why Christians Needn't Fear the Impact of COVID-19 on the Economy. Let us ask the Lord's blessing as we go to his word. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning asking that the Holy Spirit again would guide us and teach us and instruct us and open our eyes, enlighten our hearts to understand the truth of Scripture and also to understand it so as to be obedient to your commands, Lord. You are our Lord you are our God. We bow the knee before you gladly and joyfully. And it is a delight for us to hear your word and also to obey, for we know that it pleases you. And we do this through faith in Jesus Christ, not in our own strength, but by your grace alone. Amen. So Luke chapter 12, 22. 34 this morning then. So COVID-19 has already had an impact on our congregation. So one of our church members has had a cut in salary, 20% cut. And another one of our members, well, is going to receive less pay this month because of the lockdown. And if you don't work, then you don't get paid. So another one of our people won't get paid at all for the five weeks. And so we're concerned and we're wondering what will happen. What does the future hold? Especially after lockdown, people may think, what's, what's going to happen? What's going to become of my business? Well, Jesus tells us in this passage, do not be anxious. And I want to give you six reasons why we needn't be anxious in this time, even though there might be an econ- well, probably be an economic crash. So Jesus says in Luke 12, 22, and we read, And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life's more than food, and the body more than, more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? <laughs> And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are able, not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
So the first reason why we needn't be anxious during this time of economic crunch is life is more than food and clothing. That's in verse 22 and 23. So let's have an imaginary couple. Let's call them Harry and Mary. Harry and Mary, they married. They're multi-billionaires. And they cannot have children, so they decide to adopt. They adopt a seven-year-old boy, and they give him a house, a mansion where he lives now, and he's got his own room, a large room, lots of toys. He gets an allowance, pocket money. Uh, he's got a whole farm where he can play, and they pay for the most expensive and the best private school for his education. And then this seven-year-old boy is anxious because he wonders, will they give me food and clothes because he didn't have it properly before? How foolish. And you know, we like that sometimes, right? We like that. God gives us life. <laughs> and, and we're anxious about food and clothes. Verse 22. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Life's more than food, the body more than clothing. Now some of us, and I can actually say all of us, but let me just apply it this way. Some of us, we have food and clothing, so it's not really that we, we're concerned about that or anxious about that. We're anxious because we're wondering, after lockdown, will I be able to afford and pay for my second vehicle? Uh, will I have to go off Jacob's coffee and other fancy coffees and will I have to go, go back to Rick coffee? And we're anxious about that. And those kinds of people, if you're one of them, you're the kind of person you think you're really struggling financially because you can't have meat every day. I think in a case like that, the solution to that problem is not to have more money. The solution really is to be content. To be content if you have food and clothing. 1 Timothy 6 verse 8 says, that's what we will be content. That's what we need. That's what Jesus said, food and clothes. And it's great gain if you have godliness with it. Philippians 4, Paul said, I know what it is to suffer and I know what it is to have abundance. I've had both. I've had a lack of certain things and the basic needs sometimes for the sake of the gospel and other times I've had abundance. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not meaning that Jesus will give me the strength my rugby team wins because we prayed about it. Uh, no, what it means is that through the power of Christ, Paul is able to be content. He's able to deal with having abundance and not turn away from the Lord, uh, becoming proud and covetous and greedy, and he's able to have lack and struggle sometimes and still hold fast to Christ. God gives him the strength and the grace. Reminds me of that video I saw recently, a WhatsApp video of a lady in Cape Town in Danoon. So... Um, they have an interview with her and show us your house. And she's got a two-roomed house, not a two-bedroomed house, a two-roomed house. One room is the kitchen. And the other room for five people is the bedroom, probably four, three by four meters. That's the bedroom. It's the study and it's the bathroom. Uh, they've got a separate toilet, but the bathroom, they've got this little plastic tub and they boil water on the stove uh, for hot water to bath in. And they stand in the tub and wash themselves. And then she was even happy to show them a garden. She's got a single pot plant and says, here's my garden. <laughs> and she tells how wonderful it is. The ladies meet in her room and, um, from the church and they have a prayer meeting and they worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And then she says in the end, 
And we don't need to worry. Christians, you don't need to worry. God is our Father. He cares for I've, I've never gone to bed hungry. I'm not dependent on my salary. I'm dependent on God as my Father. And even if I don't have food, that God is still God and He will do what is wise and good. He knows what He's doing. That's the right attitude. So the point here is, I think sometimes the command is not for us, do not be anxious, but the command sometimes is, be content. Be content with what God has given you with food and clothing. Second, second reason we need not be anxious about the economic upheaval. You are worth more than birds. That's in verse 24. So many years ago, I was anxious. I was anxious about something. And as I was walking to the church from my house, I lived next door to the church it was winter, it was ice cold, and there was a dead sparrow on the grass that morning. And immediately my thoughts went to Matthew 10, where Jesus speaks in verse 29 to 31. Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So Jesus uses that exact object lesson here in Luke 12. He says, consider the birds. Look at the birds. Look at the ravens, the crows. Have you ever seen a crow sowing seed <laughs> and then harvesting and then stacking it and piling it up in barns? Well, no. Crows aren't like that. Birds don't do that like this rich fool in the previous parable, in verse 16 to 18, building larger and larger barns, saying, now I can retire, I've got everything, relax, eat, drink, relax, and be merry. And that night he dies. Now the, the birds don't do that. God feeds them. God feeds them, verse 24. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they neither have storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. In Job 38, in the end, it speaks of the crows. God feeds them. Psalm 147, verse 9, speaks of the crows. Now that doesn't, Jesus is not trying to say you shouldn't work hard and you're not allowed to store up because in Proverbs 6 it says you should also be like the ant. It makes provision for the future. And many verses in Scripture teach us to work hard. So that's not the point here. Um, you just think of birds, the birds themselves. The birds get up early and they start working from early in the morning until the sun sets. So obviously this lesson is not don't work hard. The point is don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Do your work and trust that God will provide your daily bread as Jesus taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. So COVID-19, the impact it ha has on the economy makes no difference to Christians. None, none at all. You are not dependent, as that lady said, you're not dependent on your salary. You're not dependent on your company or on your boss or on the economy for survival. You are dependent on your father who cares for the birds and who looks after his children. I mean, will the Lord feed the greedy crows, these greedy birds? Will he feed them and he won't feed his own children? Well, of course not. And verse 24 says, you are of more value than birds. Uh, the end of verse 7. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. 
So why, why are you anxious? Third reason we need not be anxious during the economic crisis is it won't make you live longer. Verse 25 and 26. So let's say here's a lady, she's turning 80 years old, or let's say perhaps 90. Then we say she's reached a milestone in her life. So a milestone, we're using the measurement of distance to speak in terms of time. So she's 90 years old, that's time, but we're using distance. She's reached another milestone. That's exactly what Jesus does in verse 25. He says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Now, literally there, if you read the Greek text, it says, who can add a cubit? A single cubit. A cubit is 45 centimeters. So why is Jesus saying how can, you can't add 45 centimeters to your life? He's using the same kind of imagery uh, as I mentioned just now, using milestone. So what he's saying is you can't add one cubit. You can't add 45 centimeters to your, the pathway of your life by being anxious. Psalm 39 speaks in a similar way. And, and actually, maybe we should say, you're not going to live longer. You will probably live shorter if you keep on stressing and being anxious because you're going to get a heart, heart attack and you'll die early. So therefore, verse 26, if then you are not able to do a smaller thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? In other words, if you cannot even extend your life with a little bit, why do you think you're going to, by being anxious, control your life, control the economy? Or you, what do you think? You, you're going to control the future or COVID-19 or you're going to control the world? Reason number four, we needn't be anxious during the economic trouble. Uh, verse 27 and 28, God is involved in your life. So there's a false teaching called deism. It's still around. Uh, it was very popular in the 1700s, and some presidents of the United States and other famous people were deists. So what deists believe, they believe in an impersonal God. They believe God created the world, and he just stood back. And now the world is just running by the laws of nature, and people have got reason. God has given us a mind to reason. We've got brains we can think. And so who really needs God? We can just keep on doing what we ought to do. Uh, reminds me of a program that I watched. It's on spectacular and interesting houses, extraordinary homes in the world. And the one architect said on this program, he said, once I've designed a house and the house has been built, I never return to see that house. Well, that's what deists believe. So the architect has designed the universe, he stepped back and he never returns to interfere in his creation. Well, certainly we are not deists. But you know, sometimes we live like deists, especially when we're anxious, especially when we want to take control and charge of our own problems and we won't give it to the Lord in prayer. And you know what prayerlessness is? Prayerlessness is, for all practical purposes, it's deism. It's deism. It's saying there's this God who's not involved, so I don't need to pray, I can't trust Him. Actually, it's practical atheism. You're living like an atheist, even though you say you believe there's a God. And Jesus tells you in this passage, in verse 27, why don't you look at the flowers? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Just look at the, the flowers of the field with their speckles and their stripes and 
their bright colors and their soft colors and all these colors just flowing together and blending together, blending into each other. And God has created these flowers, and verse 27 says, more beautiful and better dressed and better clothed than King Solomon was in all his glory. Solomon was never dressed, even though he was the richest king who lived. He was never as beautiful as these lilies and as other flowers of the field. It reminds me of uh, 2018, I was in the Western Cape in Hermanus, and I was walking in the field. We were at uh, meetings, annual meetings, and I was there early, and I was walking in the field praying and meditating, and I saw this little flower, uh, the size of my pinky nail, and I, I picked it off the grass, and I just just looked at it and looked at the detail and the color, and then I turned it upside down, and at the bottom of this flower, or um, yeah, the bottom side, each petal had a deep purple stripe on it. It's like it was painted there. The detail God cares about. The flower, no one probably looks or picks to look at the, the bottom side or underneath the flower. And God cares about that. God sustains creation. God is involved in the finest detail. Everything holds together in Jesus Christ. He upholds the whole creation by the word of his power. Psalm 104, it's God who feeds the lions. It's God who even makes dew fall on the grass and lets the grass grow and gives streams of water and fountains for the animals to drink in the mountains and he takes care of the fish in the sea. And Job 38 and 39 again, you see God in control, in charge of creation. Even a sparrow, as I said earlier, falls to the ground. The hairs of your head are all numbered. So sorry, deists. God is involved, intimately involved in his creation. So why are we anxious? Why are we anxious? So God takes all this trouble for this single flower or takes the trouble for the grass of the field the grass that you mow down or the sirocco the the desert wind blows over it and it dies and you've got grass that you throw into the oven use it as tinder to get your fire going for the oven so today alive tomorrow it's dead and then he forgets you no 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 Verse 28, if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? How, how we are exactly like that of little faith. Just look at God's involvement in your life. If you're like me, you've probably got a bit of extra fat around your waist, you've got a double chin, you've got a car, you've got a bed, you've got a house, you've got a blanket, more than one, you've got food. And even if you only have food and clothing, you haven't died, you haven't starved. If you're reading the sermon, definitely you haven't starved or listening to it. So why stress? Why be anxious? As if COVID-19 is now going to destroy all God's promises and he can't keep them. And as if the Lord's going to forget us because lockdown's almost over. A person who has little faith, indirectly he says, God is not good. He will not take care of me. God is not powerful. He cannot take care of me. God is not faithful. He will not keep his promises to take care of me. 
You can know for sure that God will take care of his children even during a famine. He will provide for his children as he did in Genesis 47 and as Psalm 33, 19 and 37, 19 say. God will take care of you even if the economy should be like Humpty Dumpty and fall and no one can put Humpty together again. Reason number five, we need not be anxious and should not be anxious because it makes you like the world. It makes you like the world. Verse 29 and 30. The world, it's unbelievers who stress about food and clothing and chase that and live for that and they in the rat race from eight to five or even longer hours, work hours every day. It's the unbelievers who do panic buying. Verse 30. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. It's the unbelievers who believe nonsense. Like, oh, we're going to stand in a long queue and we'll have to buy diesel because there won't be diesel anymore. Do you remember that a few years back? People standing in queues, filling containers with diesel because all the diesel is going to dry up. The whole world will be without diesel. the unbelievers who seek after these things. And why do they seek it? They seek it because they have nothing else. This world is all they have. So don't be like them. Verse 29. Do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. It's a very bad testimony when Christians do panic buying. It's a bad testimony when Christians go into great debt just to try and survive. The Bible tells us not to go into debt. Romans 13 verse 8. It's a bad testimony if Christians are so stressed up and stressed out that they, it's almost like their lives are now lived according to the financial paper. It's lived according to inflation. It's lived according to the rand dollar exchange. It's lived according to politics. It's a bad testimony if Christians are so naive, they're so gullible that whatever fake news is sent around on WhatsApp, they, they're so gullible and they're so stressed and they send it to all their contacts. Look at the trouble we're in. It's a bad testimony if Christians lie awake at night because they're afraid of what the impact of COVID-19 is going to be, have on, what impact it will have on their lives or their businesses or their jobs or their, or their economy. It's a bad testimony if Christians just gather up and store up and store up and store up for the day of their retirement as if when you hit 65, God stops caring for his children. Jesus explicitly told us, do not be afraid, do not take care, do not worry and be anxious about tomorrow, Matthew 6.34. I'm not saying you're not allowed to have policies or retirement plans. I'm just saying don't stress, don't be anxious. Any Christian who lives in the ways that I just described, indirectly what you're doing then is you're telling the world, you know, I'm just like you. Like you, I too do not have a father who cares for me. And, and what about it? What, what if? What about it if the economy crashes and burns? What about it? Is, is God no longer God? Is God no longer your father? So stop being anxious like the world. Stop being anxious about the economy. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And that's why we read in verse 30, second part, your father knows that you need them. In Matthew 6 verse 8, before you even ask. So do your work. 
and pray to the Lord and ask Him to provide for you and trust Him and then wait on Him. He will provide. I remember a man coming to my house one evening, a Christian, and he was very anxious. His wife and children are very ill. They have cystic fibrosis, they've got immune disease and many other diseases, and they're in hospital like every two or three weeks. Literally, this is, I'm not exaggerating. And he was very concerned because, because of medical expenses. He couldn't pay the bond on his house, and he was eight months behind. And the bank said, listen, we understand your circumstances because of medical issues, but now it's been eight months. You need to pay. You're going to lose the house. And uh, he was really anxious, and he came, and, and I tried to comfort him from the Word, and I shared many promises from Scripture with him, especially concerning God's care for his children and texts like this. And, and then I prayed with him. And he went home, and he was really encouraged and strengthened. And f probably three or four days later, his wife contacts me, and she's crying, and she says, God has answered, God has answered. And the Lord had provided for them, I think, was it 140,000, 150,000? I can't remember the figure, but it was the exact figure that they owed the bank. <laughs> and then I want to ask, oh, why are we stressing again? Why are we anxious again about what? <laughs> and then finally, number six. Uh, reason number six why we do not need to be anxious about the economy is God's kingdom is yours. And that's in verse 31 to 34. So, let's say a tramp, a man who lives on the street, comes and he asks you for 20 rand. And you answer, you respond by saying, listen, I'm not going to give you 20 rand, but you can have my Bentley. And he doesn't really know what a Bentley is, and he doesn't care. And he starts arguing with you, saying, I didn't ask you for a Bentley, I asked you for 20 rand. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know, a Bentley is a very, very expensive car, probably five or six million rand. And you know, we like that tramp, we like that man on the street sometimes. God gives us a kingdom! And then we get anxious about food and, food and clothing. <laughs> Verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So don't get anxious. Seek the kingdom. Pursue the kingdom. Just like the unbelievers pursue and they chase after food and clothing. Verse 30. In the same way, we should pursue and chase after the kingdom. So how do you seek the kingdom? Well, first of all, you need to be saved. That's how you get into the kingdom. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he will not enter the kingdom or he will not see the kingdom. In Luke 16, verse 16, Jesus tells us, since the law and the prophets were until John, since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. You force your way into the kingdom by not resting until you have salvation. Like the thief on the cross, Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. We are transferred by God from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And then, if you're in the kingdom through salvation and the new birth, then you pray, let your kingdom come. You pray that others may enter the kingdom. You preach the word of the kingdom, that people may be saved and enter the kingdom of God. Your children, your family, grandchildren, colleagues, neighbors, the unreached. And then also, according to Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, not only seek the kingdom, but also seek God's righteousness. So how do you find God's righteousness? Well, you find it through believing in Jesus Christ, trusting in Him, hoping in Him, 
placing your full hope in him for salvation, coming to him for salvation. And Christ becomes your righteousness. God the Father reckons the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ, the perfect righteousness of Christ, he reckons to your account. And then once you've been justified, God has declared you just and righteous through faith in Christ. Then you pursue righteousness. You chase a life of righteousness. That's how you seek God's righteousness. So God's kingdom, God's righteousness, that's what you seek and you make it a priority because Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom. And then if you do that, then God will give what you need. He'll provide what you need, verse 31 of Luke 12. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Now that does not mean we seek God's kingdom so that we can get stuff. That's the prosperity gospel. Go to Jesus because you want stuff. Rather what it means is we seek the kingdom. Why? Because we want the king. We want Christ. We want Jesus. And yet, I'm very hasty to add, the promise of verse 31 stands. If you do that, and you do seek the kingdom, then God will provide what you need. Also verse 32, where we have a promise. God is our shepherd, and we are his flock. So fear not, little flock. Like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd in John 10. And then God is our father. It's the father's good pleasure. If he's our father, then we're his children. And then he's our king. And he has given us his kingdom. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Will God give you all those things in verse 32, but not food and clothing that you need? Will God give you the greater thing, the kingdom... And not the lesser? Will God give you his own beloved son to die on a cross and not provide everything else you need? Romans 8.32 speaks that language. God delights in doing good to his children. He says it in verse 32. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He enjoys doing us good. And therefore, he will care for you. He will provide. Your and my responsibility is simply do not focus on what you can get, like the rich fool in the previous parable. Focus on what you can give. Verse 33. So the way, the way God provides our food and clothing is by one of the ways, except for the main ways, doing your job and working hard. But another way is Christians Share with one another. We share with one another. Verse 33. Sell your possessions, give to the needy. Isn't that what we learn in Mark 10, 29 and 30? That we will have a hundred times as many brothers and sisters and lands and properties and so on. Why? Because Christians open their homes to one another. They share. In, in the book of Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4, they even sold their stuff. As Jesus says here. And they shared with the poor. Romans 12, 13. Galatians 6, verse 10. Ephesians 4, 28. Hebrews 13, 16. All these passages teach us that Christians, as Christians, we should be generous and we should share. Remember how generous God was with you and me? That he gave his only son to die for us. 
And shouldn't we be generous to one another? Didn't Jesus give up the riches of heaven to become poor that we, by his poverty, might become rich? Didn't God give us the unspeakable gift of Jesus Christ? Shouldn't we be like the Lord Jesus who laid down his life and we should lay down our lives for the brothers? Can we have the stuff of this world, the good of this world, the riches of this world, and you see a brother in need, a fellow Christian, and you close your heart? How does the love of God dwell in you? Now, I know there might be an objection. Someone may say, yes, but I, can't, I really can't afford to give. Well, my response is maybe you should read 2 Corinthians 8 again, verse 1 to 5, and you see these dirt poor Christians in the northern province of Greece in Macedonia. Dirt poor. And they share with one another and they give. They want to give to the poor in Jerusalem. And Paul says, you can't give. You are poor. And they say, Paul, we beg you, please take this. We want to give to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. That is a kingdom principle. The more you give, the more you have. Verse 31. Seek his kingdom and God will give to you. Proverbs 19 verse 7. You give to the poor and the Lord will repay you. Luke 6.38. If you give to others, God will give to you in abundance. That's just paraphrased in my own words. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. The more you sow, the more you reap. And sometimes, I'm not saying always, so please don't quote me wrong on this and get me wrong, Sometimes Christians struggle financially because they do, do not give. They have no heart for the kingdom or not as they ought to. Haggai chapter 1 verse 4 to 11. The Lord says, why are you struggling? Why don't you have? Because you will not support the work of the Lord. And in that context, the rebuilding of the temple. If you put God's kingdom first and you give for the kingdom of God, God will provide. Verse 31, seek the kingdom, these things will be added. My God will provide in all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Proverbs 3 tells us, you give to the Lord's work first and God will supply abundantly what you need. Now perhaps you're angry because you're really, you're really sick and tired of pastors talking about money. Always money, 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 money. Well, that's not our brand, that's the prosperity gospel, that's a false gospel. Those preachers on TV. And for those of you who know me, if you're honest, please say how many times have I preached on this subject in the last two years. You can go and check the blog. Those of you who don't know me, 700 sermons there, 200 on SoundCloud, and I've preached probably 1,300 in this church. And that's not a topic I go to often. I deal with it when I hit a passage or when there's a crisis like we have and Christians are anxious about the economy. I'm not interested in having your money. I don't want your money. What I want is your treasures in heaven. That you will have treasure in heaven, verse 33, second part. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that doesn't fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. That's what I'm interested in. Philippians 4, verse 17. 1 Timothy 6 says the same. 2 Peter 1, verse 4, the same. That's what I'm interested in. You gather your treasures on earth, they'll rust. Someone will steal them. Moths will ruin them. So you cannot live for treasures on earth. And by the way, it's, gonna, it's just going to end lying on the dump. That's where it's going to end up. And it's sad, as Randy Alcorn reminds us, it's sad that, that the very things lying on the dump, rotting away, are things about which children fought. And families were broken up and people even got a divorce. 
So why not rather chase heavenly riches, heavenly treasure? How do you get this treasure? Well, I've already told you verse 31 and 32. 31, you seek it. Verse 32, God gives it. So give. Give to missions. Philippians 4 verse 18. Because missionaries are those spreading the word of the kingdom. Give to the poor believers. Verse 33. That's how you lay up treasures in heaven. Just sell the stuff in your closet. Sell the stuff in your cupboard that you haven't been using. Sell the stuff in your garage and in the back room. Things that are just lying there. You never use them. Sell it and give the money to the poor. Verse 33. Why do you want to keep it? Just for in case you're going to use it one day. You haven't used it for five years. If you hold fast to earthly stuff, you will lose it. Because naked you come into this world and naked you will leave it. If you hold fast to it, you'll lose it. If you give it away, you'll keep it. Verse 33, that's the way you have money bags in heaven, treasures in heaven. The same principle in Proverbs 11.24. Speaks of people holding stuff, all these riches to their own harm and others giving away and they grow richer. I'm telling you very honestly and openly, you cannot focus on heaven as you ought as long as you are busy gathering treasures and treasures and treasures and treasures on earth. Why not? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be, verse 34. You can just check your budget. And you see in your budget. That'll show where your priorities are. That'll show what your idols are. That will show where your heart is. So are you focusing on earthly treasures and earthly riches? Well, it's a weight. It's a weight and it's holding you back. Like the rich young ruler in Luke 18. He couldn't have eternal life because he was so focused on this world. He couldn't look at the next. Reminds me of John Wesley, also in Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle. He uses this illustration. John Wesley was riding with a very rich plantation owner on horseback. And they were going through the plantation of this rich guy in the United States. Uh, Wesley was an Englishman and he visited the U.S. And this guy was bragging about how rich he is and how much he has. And he said to John Wesley, after a whole day's horse riding, and they hadn't even seen the whole plantation, he said, so what do you think? And Wesley said, well, that's very nice, but you're going to have a really hard time leaving all of this behind. I'm not saying that it's a sin to be rich. There were many rich believers in the Bible. Abraham was rich. Isaac and Jacob were rich. Job was rich. Lydia, the seller of purple, she was rich. All I'm saying is focus on heaven. Focus on heaven and be generous. And if you, if you lay up treasures in heaven, well, your heart's going to follow. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also, verse 34. That's how I remember the late Martin Holt. Martin Holt was very generous, really. He would buy a couple of books, let's say five or six books, and he would send them to pastors. And he would, um, he would take pastors for tea or for coffee at a coffee shop or for for lunch at a restaurant and he would pay and because he sought God's kingdom first and God's righteousness God provided for him for the I don't know how many years of his life some rich guy provided him with a car a free car every every so many years 
And when he had retired, he was still preaching every week, but he wasn't a paid pastor anymore. But God provided for him to get his medical aid paid, paid for. And when he died, his son said at his funeral, you know, I found a slip in my dad's study drawer, and he only had 50 rand in the bank. That's it. That was what he had, 50 rand. Because his treasure wasn't on earth, it was in heaven. And that's why God took care of him while he was on earth. And he'll do the same for you if you focus on heaven and if you trust him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you are reliable and trustworthy, that we can look to you for the provision of our needs, but help us to look to you not only for getting stuff, but for loving you for who you are and trusting then you will provide if we do what you command us. Work, share, be faithful to you and follow you. Amen.